0: Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning or your cell phone app, um, whichever it may be, I'd like to invite you to start with this morning to look at a text of Scripture with me to begin our thoughts for this morning's time in the Word. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 10, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, and I'm returning to some verses of Scripture that we looked at. At our weekly prayer meeting this week, Kathy and I host the the group on um, Tuesday evenings at our home, and we gather and share needs and concerns, and then we spend time in prayer together, and we have a wonderful time, and you're always welcome, by the way. And uh, if you can't make it and you have a need for prayer and want to call Kathy or I on Tuesday and let us know, we'll remember you that evening as well. But um, I was telling the group that uh, I had the grandkids over a week or so ago, and it's springtime, of course. And in my backyard, uh, thanks to the Bonstroms in many ways for all the trees that they planted, I have plenty of room to put up uh, birdhouses. And so I have a half a dozen birdhouses up in my trees, and uh, every springtime. Uh, on Mr. Gunther's instructions, I clean those bird houses out because he said birds like clean houses to build their nests in. And um, he's right. And so for years I've been doing that, but I hadn't included the grandkids. So the grandkids were over and um, we walked around and they watched me put up ladders and, and uh, clean out the, uh, all of those little houses. And, and we had a great time together and I taught them about lessons uh, that I had learned from Mr. Gunther. Well, this drew me to this passage of scripture, and it's one that we know fairly well, and I know that we appreciate. In chapter 10 of Matthew, beginning at uh, verse 29, 29 through 31, there's just three verses for now that I'd like you to see. It says there, uh, Jesus is speaking to the people. And he has, of course, given them some warnings about not who to fear and whom not to fear. In verse 28, he tells them, uh, Do not fear those who merely can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And then in verse 29 are these beautiful verses he says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are of more, you are of more valuable than many sparrows. So with this simple illustration, and I always often picture the Lord Jesus teaching a group of people, the disciples and the crowd that's gathered. Perhaps there were some sparrows about in the trees around them or maybe trying to build their nests up under the rocks. Who knows? But often I think he just looked and and just saw an illustration and used it. And so he says, for instance, two sparrows, are they not sold for a couple cents or for a cent? And yet I tell you, you're of much more value than the sparrows. And yet not one of those sparrows falls to the ground. In other words, not a single sparrow dies without the awareness of God the Father. And then he says, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That's how intimately aware he is of you and your life and your circumstances and the condition of your soul. So he's using this illustration about the sparrows. And I, yesterday afternoon, I was thinking about this verse again, and I thought, I think I'll just do a little research here and see what I find out. So I wanted to find out how many birds die annually on planet Earth. Of course, we're sure that it's an estimate. As Kathy pointed out to me when I was doing this, she said, well, you know, uh, it might there might be some variableness depending on how duck season went that year. <laughs> Leave it up to Kath to throw that in there. But you know how many birds die annually? And according to this passage of scripture, Jesus says not one of them falls without the Father's knowledge. They estimate that 2.4 billion birds die annually. 2.4 billion. So I said, Kathy, you're a whiz at math. You want to do this for me? So she did. That means that 200 million birds die every month. Every day. 6 million. Every day. 6,666,000 667 die on a daily basis. In the hour that we will spend together today for worship service, that estimate breaks down to 277,778 birds will die and fall to the ground with the, with the Father's full knowledge during this worship service, which breaks down then further that every minute of this service throughout the world an estimated 4,630 birds will fall to the ground and according to Jesus not one of them will fall apart from God the Father's knowledge. And then here's where I was shocked by the passage because I'd never seen this connection before. When you come to the next verse in this chapter, verse 32, it begins with the word, therefore, which means what I just now said about the birds, about the sparrows about the hairs of your head, what I just now said about the Father's full knowledge of every one of them and that you are of more value than many sparrows. Then he says, therefore, listen carefully to verse 32 and 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men will also, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. I had never seen that connection before. I'd never seen him apply the lesson of the sparrows the value of our souls, and the knowledge of God the Father of each of us, I'd never seen him apply it that way, that just as a, as a bird falls to the ground and is known by God the Father, so every time any one of you confess me before men, I acknowledge that as I acknowledge a bird falling, to the ground. Isn't that fascinating? And what a staggering thing. Think who we're talking about now. We're talking about God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of the whole fabric of creation and all the universe, this great and glorious God. He is the one before whom Jesus will confess your name if you acknowledge Christ and are unashamed of Him and you acknowledge Him and confess Him before men, the unbelieving world that we live in. That's pretty staggering, isn't it? Every once in a while, you might hear of somebody uh, and they'll say, oh, by the way, I was talking to so-and-so the other day and he brought you up and he spoke well of you and how you did on that project or that job or whatever. It's always nice to hear that somebody has a kind word to say about us, isn't it? How do you feel about Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father, looking to him and mentioning you by name? Because without shame, without hesitancy, you were willing to confess your faith and trust in Jesus Christ before an unbelieving world. That's a rather powerful concept, isn't it? It's a, it's a double confession. You confess me here below, and I will confess you above before my Father. Well, I wanna talk a little bit about this today. And um, I really don't have so much of a text that we're gonna break down like I normally do, an exposition. I'm counting on a certain amount of knowledge that you already have, and I just want to give a challenge to us all, an exhortation to us all. I really enjoy springtime, don't you? Springtime is such a great time, and I enjoy it so much as things begin to blossom again, and um, just life just seems to spring from the frozen ground. As it thaws, uh, the trees begin to burst, into buds and then leaves and blossoms and so on. It's just such a great time. Life seems to emerge from uh, the icy grip of a long winter. And in addition to that is the season for the church when we begin to reflect on the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death and the grave and rose again the risen Christ who is alive. And now at the right hand of the Father. I just love this season. And this season of time at Easter time is a great time to bear witness. I was just imagining a conversation, imagining any one of you who are believers in Christ, any one of us, and just bumping into somebody at Walmart or at the post office or up at Harvest Foods or who, who knows where, we just bumped into them. And they said to you, so how you been doing? How's things going for you? It's kind of a typical way. You, people talk and question one another. And I was thinking to myself how every one of us could seize that opportunity. The moment we are asked, How's things going? what's, What's new with you? What's been going on? Right there, we can go for the juggler. I'm so glad you asked that because springtime reminds me of that which is the most important thing in my whole life. And leave it there. Make them ask you, oh really, what's that? Right? Well, you don't know. Every year at this time, our church gets geared up and we have a celebration, the likes of which the rest of the year doesn't have. It's a celebration that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that he is alive. And all of my life, there's nothing in my life more important than that event. Not my home, not my family, not my spouse, not my bank account, not even my health. There's nothing I have in this world that compares to the value I put on the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Are you following me? Do you see how easy that was just now? It was a wide open opportunity. And we all have these opportunities. And Jesus said, just like the sparrows that fall, and my Father is conscious of them, every time you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. What a promise. And what an honor to represent him below and know that he represents us above, at the very right hand of the throne of God. Well, today I want to share with you just a simple context concept. It's a concept that back in 1989 I put this little message together at a church we were pastoring in Northern California and then somewhere around 91, 92, shortly after we moved here, I shared these thoughts and I don't believe I've shared them since. You might have to remind me, but I don't think I have. And it was just a simple idea and there's nothing profound about today's message It's more about application than it is really about interpretation. It's so simple that we will all understand it. It's what we might call the triangle of conversion. That for the most part, though there are exceptions, for the most part when God chooses to rescue somebody, like the song we just sang, to rescue someone who's perishing, who's in darkness and unbelief and who does not know Christ, he usually does it with this triangle. And you can see it up on the screen above. At the top is a God of grace, the graciousness of God, who extends power and mercy to the one that he's drawing to Christ. And there's a seeking soul. He has stirred within them longings, They may not even be able to quite understand what it is inside them that stirs, but they have found a discontentedness with life. They began to question the meaning of life, its value, because they know there's a six-foot hole that awaits them. And so all this that they're so frantically valuing and living for and chasing after is becoming less and less attractive as they think about who they really are what life is all about, and where perhaps they're going when this life is over. The seeking soul. But then in this triangle, the completion of the triangle on the opposite corner is the willing witness, or the winsome witness, if you will. Someone who will bring truth and confession of Christ to that person that does not know the Lord. There it is. How simple can you get, right? And so in many ways, it's just like this. There are some of you sitting right here today that came to faith in Christ in this way. God, in all of his grace and knowledge of you and every hair on your head, God one day decided that I'm going to draw you to myself. And the way I'm going to do it is that I'm going to pick you up in one hand, the seeking soul, and I'm going to pick up one of my willing witnesses in the other hand, and then I'm going to bring my hands together, and I'm going to unite you for a time with that witness. And that person is going to tell you what Jesus Christ has done for them, and how he has changed their lives. And that's going to sit off Set off a chain reaction in the stirring of your own heart when you realize that I don't have what they have. And I want to know God as they've come to know God. And that's a, how simple is that? And when we look in scripture, when we look at the scriptures, for instance, the book of Acts for one, in, in, the, in chapter 10 of Acts, and you don't have to turn there, in chapter 10 of Acts, we have the, the record of, of Simon Peter, who's up on a rooftop, meditating and praying. And he's up on this rooftop down at Joppa, completely different city. And in another city, I believe it was Caesarea, we have a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is someone who has become interested in Judaism and the religion of the Jews and so on, but he doesn't know Christ, he has not been in contact with the gospel yet. And Cornelius is a Roman official. In fact, he's the commander of a battalion of Roman soldiers. And God speaks to Peter, and he also speaks to Cornelius, and then he scoops them up, I'm simplifying the story, and he brings them together by drawing Peter over to Cornelius' home, and there Peter begins to witness to them. He's a willing witness sharing the gospel of Christ and the good news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that through faith in him, God has promised to forgive all your sins and to make you new and alive on the inside. He will change your life right where, right where you're at. You don't have to doctor up your life. You don't have to get ready. You don't have to, ch- only thing that's really necessary is Honesty. The honesty that says, I'm a sinner, I know it, and I've done a great many things that have displeased God and even hurt other people, and God, I need your forgiveness. I need you to change me. That's basically it. The seeking soul that wants relief from the pain or shame or guilt or regret of a past lived without God, and they want to come home, home to God. And so God scoops up Peter in one hand and scoops up Cornelius in the other and he brings them together. We see another account like that in Acts chapter 16. The apostle Paul, he enters this particular uh, town of Philippi, a Roman province, and there he goes down, to, goes down to the river bank and there along the river bank are some women who have gathered. And there amongst them is a woman named Lydia And it says in that text that Paul began to witness to them and the Lord opened Lydia's heart and she believed the message Paul was bringing. What did God do? In a most unlikely place, along a riverside, for goodness, the banks of a river. Maybe they were washing clothes. I, I don't know fully what was going on. It says sometimes they had prayer meetings there. But Paul and Lydia God brought them together. And her 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 family ended up turning to the Lord as well, and God did a wonderful work in them all. Again, the triangle of conversion. And the wonder that you and I get to be part of that triangle. We get the honor of being those who confess him before men and are his witnesses. They're in that same town, you remember there was a stir because of the preaching. Paul and Silas got thrown in jail. They beat, him they beat him up first, whipped him, threw him in jail. And around midnight, they were praying and singing hymns from the jailhouse. And God brought an earthquake upon the place and the gates and so on. The stability of the place was shaken. Gates were opened. And uh, the jailer thought everybody was going to escape. And you remember the story, the Philippian jailer. Here's this, this Roman jailer who is responsible for guarding these prisoners. And what does God do? Well, he, he brought Paul and Silas in there, and here's the Philippian jailer, and he was about to take his life because he thought the prisoners were gonna escape. And Paul stopped him and said, do not bring any harm to yourself, for, for we are all here, right? And the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul, we teach our children, Paul responded, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. My kids got that mixed up when they were little. I remember asking the kids about the verses they were learning and, and uh, they got them mixed up because there was one that said, I think the H was honor your father and mother and then B, was believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one time Luke got him mixed up, and so he said, um, well, I asked him what the, what the verse was he'd learned this week, and he said, honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt be saved. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I was tempted to say, that's a good one, I, I, had to, I, I did correct him. Um, I didn't want him growing up with that legalism in his heart. Well, one of my favorite in the book of Acts is Philip. We meet Philip in chapter six. He is a deacon in the church. And his first job was to help in bringing food and caring for the needs of the widows in in the early church. And Philip then, we find him later in Acts chapter eight, and he's down in Samaria, and he's bearing witness of Christ, and he's sharing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And many, many people are coming to faith in Christ in Samaria, which was kind of the half-breed Jew-Gentile mix, which the Pharisees and Jews looked down upon those people, but not Philip. He knew the gospel was to go to everyone and they were to all hear it. And out of the all, God would draw some. And so he was down there preaching and there was all these wonderful things happening. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says to Philip, okay, I know you're in the midst of this wonderful revival and lots of people are coming to faith in the Lord, but I want you to get out of here now and go down to this little desert road on the way to Azotus. And so he obeyed. He was a willing witness. And Philip goes down there and you remember the story. There's a caravan, an entourage, of Africans who had been to Jerusalem to visit and among them was a court official to the very queen of Ethiopia riding in a chariot and as he was riding he had on his lap a portion of the scroll of Isaiah and he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53 about the one who would suffer and by his stripes we were we are healed. All of our iniquities and were laid upon him. He was crushed and so on. He's reading about Jesus in Isaiah 53 and he doesn't know who he's talking about. And so Philip runs up alongside the chariot and Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, how could I unless somebody explain it to me? And he said, well, come on up on the chariot. So now here's Philip out on this desert road writing with a court official of the queen of Ethiopia, for goodness sakes. By the way, I just thought it would be fun this week to look up, did you know they estimate that 63% of the population of Ethiopia are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it matter if we reach just one sparrow? Just one? Souls are more valuable than sparrows. And this one certainly was because this Ethiopian gave his life to Christ and put his faith in the Lord right there on that chariot ride. And that's the last we hear of the Ethiopian. But now you can go to Ethiopia and there's hundreds and hundreds of churches and beautiful black people worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel came to Ethiopia. I'm almost done. Yeah, I'm almost done. I have a simple question. And it's a question that you can ask yourself. And I can ask myself on a regular basis. And I've been challenged by this question. Listen to me now. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father in heaven. Does God give us any opportunities to confess Christ? Every day. Do we come in contact with people? So here's the question. When I walk into Walmart, when I go to the hardware store, when I'm talking over the back fence to my neighbor, when I go for a walk with my dog and I, talk to several people. When I'm out and you're out interacting with people, I want to give you a challenge. It's a challenge I'm going to give to myself as well. And it comes in the form of a question. I dare, I dare you. Remember back in school, I double dare you. I dare you to ask yourself the question, with the lord in view lord is this just a chance encounter or is this a divine appointment chance encounter or divine appointment were you without my conscious of it consciousness you drew me in one hand and you brought me in contact with this person Just like you did with Peter and Cornelius. Just like you did with Paul and Lydia. Just like you did with Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer. And just like you did with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back to Ethiopia. It's been over 40 years now, but I, I can see it just as clear. Within the first few weeks after the Lord changed my life and came into my life, called me to himself and opened my blind eyes to who he is. I had gone up to visit some friends and I had these buddies. We used to ride uh, dirt bikes together. We had some pretty hopped up dirt bikes and um, I had a 250 KTM that was all hopped up and we we rode the the mountain trails and there were several places for hill climbing and we used to do hill climbing. And uh, I never did break my neck, how I don't know. But we used to do that and there was a network of a half a dozen or more of us, but I had this friend, his name was Sean. And Sean and I had been buddies all through junior high and up through high school. And he was one of the first ones that I told and confessed Christ to, that that he had changed me. And he really didn't know quite what to think. And I didn't know enough to even tell him what I was thinking, because I was brand new. I had the Lord in my life. I didn't know much of this. But I shared with him just a little bit, just enough to plant a seed. And then I went my way. And about two weeks went by, and I lived a couple miles, several miles from Sean in a double-wide mobile home that I'd purchased and built a deck on the front, and I was sitting on my deck, single young man. I was sitting one morning on my deck, reading my Bible as a new Christian, and I looked up and coming off of of Old Stage Road onto the driveway that comes up, and I, I was on a hill so I could see all the way down, and here came somebody on a bicycle. And the more I looked, the more I, I began to recognize, well, that's Sean. And here came Sean, and he rode that bicycle all the way up to my place, put the kickstand down and walked over. And uh, I welcomed him, he sat down next to me on the, there on the front porch early in the morning. And he said, you know all that stuff you were telling me about the other, a couple weeks ago? about Jesus. I need you to help me. I need Jesus. I need him just like you've found him. Can you help me? I couldn't believe it. There we were. Sean in one hand, Tony in the other, and a God of wondrous grace and mercy brings us together. And right there, Sean prayed after I shared the gospel with him, prayed to receive Jesus Christ into his life. And uh, I don't know, at the time I was attending the First Baptist Church of Medford, Oregon. We had about, I don't know, somewhere between 1,500 and 1,800 people. It was a big church. And uh, Pastor David Croy was the pastor of the church. And Pastor Croy had a couple daughters and a son. His son was in the same grade with me. And wouldn't you know what Sean would do? Sean came to faith in Christ, began attending church with me, started going to Bible studies and youth meetings and things like that. And within about two and a half, three years, he married Pastor Croy's daughter. (laughs) And the two of them have a vessel of kids and they have been following the Lord ever since for 40 years. Here was this kid who didn't know up from down, rides up to my house, we pray, the Lord changes him, and the Lord gives him the cream of the crop out of our church for his wife. The pastor's daughter, Becky was her name, and she loved the Lord deeply and followed him, even through the scoffing and mocking of snotty-nosed girls in junior high. She stood for the Lord all the way through. I didn't appreciate that until later because I didn't come to know the Lord until I was out of high school. Are you willing to take up the challenge that as you come in contact with people, will you, in your prayerful, quiet heart, Lord, is this just a chance encounter? or is this your divine appointment, that I might speak a word for you, knowing that the moment I do, I'm being confessed at the right hand of Almighty God. That's Jesus' promise. I wanna be confessed up there, don't you? So, to aid you in that task, <laughs> now, Sounds like an info commercial now, doesn't it? But Mary Ann put these together. They're colorful. They're nice. They're just announcements. They were first for all of us. But I mean, it wouldn't take that much work to go home and write down those times for the Good Friday service and the Easter breakfast and Easter service, and then use this as an attractive way to say, hey, by the way, one of those encounters One of those appointments that God might give you and invite a friend, invite someone that you would like to have come. And I promise you this on Easter Sunday morning, if you bring somebody that doesn't know the Lord, they're going to hear the gospel. The clear, crystal clear gospel as God the Holy Spirit will enable me. I'll preach the gospel and give an invitation to your friend, your family member, whoever you can bring. There it is. Pass them out. Sound like a good idea. Let's reach people. That's why God has us here, right? All right. Well, that's that's all I had, Kath, for this morning.